It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast that will keep talking up the engineering accomplishments of the Titanic, even as it sinks to the bottom of the Atlantic. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you walking personification of a Renaissance painting. How the hell you been, my friend? Been well, man. You know, Michigan games come, they go, but I've missed you. It's been a while. It has been a minute. We've taken some time off to digest. We're way too emotional to podcast immediately after a loss like that. After a win, we can do it. I mean, it'll mostly just be us screaming obscenities and shaking each other verbally through the through the computer. But after a loss, I needed time to digest. I understand that. We, we care a whole bunch. We care a bunch about the game, about Michigan, about this podcast. We need some time to settle down. If anyone saw us after the Ohio State game, they understand. We care about this stuff. Some people saw us, I know that, as we were screaming at the top of our lungs about whose fault it was, uh, the outcome of that game. But this one, a little bit less so. Not, I mean, not that we enjoyed the loss, but less depressing than the Ohio State one in the sense that not really many of us predicted to win this game. Not many of us thought we'd even hang in it. And this Citrus Bowl, Michigan actually did that for about three quarters, uh, eventually succumbing to Alabama 35-16 was the final uh, with that last touchdown being kind of an FU touchdown there at the end. So let's kind of talk about that bowl game, man, and, and your feelings on it. 
And it was a ton of fun for those first three quarters, watching the offense move the ball, dominate and push around their defensive line, defense seemingly figure it out. And then it didn't happen anymore, and it all fell apart. Yeah, uh, kind of just like a metaphor for being a Michigan fan there. Everything seems like it's really good. Like, honestly, for every season under Harbaugh, you're cruising along, you're absolutely crushing it, you're very surprised at how good this team looks, you think they're one of the best teams in the country, then reality sets in. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Uh, You and I both predicted Bama winning here. I was the closer of the two of us. I had it 35-21, which is pretty damn close. You had it at 41-30, not far off either. And, uh, you know, it, it was a game that was very much in Michigan's grasp early on. And like you said, it was dominance at the point of attack on offense and on defense. They were winning the line of scrimmage, which I thought maybe the offensive line had a chance to do. But the defensive line was also winning at the point of attack for the first three quarters. Yeah, it was really something to see Michigan out physical a Nick Saban Alabama team where they pride themselves in physicality. And until halftime, once they made their adjustments and came out and kind of began to impose their will a little bit, Michigan was well in this thing. They just didn't adjust. That Their first half plan was great. They just needed to take it up a level, and they didn't have that second gear. And plus, it never helps when your quarterback can't hit anybody. No, rough second half for Shea Patterson. Um, interesting on the uh, play calling and personnel decisions in the second half to get away from running Charbonnet. Uh, They went with Haskins, who was having some effective runs, not quite as good as Charbonnet, um, but it was really execution in the second half. Overthrows from Shea Patterson, a fumble from Patterson, a late turnover, uh, false starts putting you behind the chains. Um, Just things that were kind of typical of Michigan early season before Penn State really started to come back to bite him there. And you can't make those kind of mistakes against Bama, who, like you said, made a ton of adjustments at the half. Yeah, they made a ton of adjustments, and Michigan could never find an answer for Jerry Judy. That was pretty much the game in a nutshell. Mac Jones played well, played much better than he did against Auburn, didn't turn the ball over, threw three beautiful touchdowns, but nobody could cover Jerry Judy, not in zone, not in man-to-man. All their other receivers were held in check, all under 60 yards, but Judy, six catches for 204 and a touchdown. That's a 34-yard average per catch. Yeah, uh, that pretty much sums it up there. Judy and Najee Harris, you know, counted for three touchdowns and 340 yards between the two of them. Um, And that's kind of what we thought would happen in our prediction. There's just too many stars. I mean, if you take away Ruggs and Smith, you still got to deal with Judy and Harris. Um, So it was impossible to take away all those guys for an entire game. Props to Lavert Hill for doing the best he could with an, a guy that's going to be probably a top 10 fantasy producing wide receiver next year in Jerry Beauty. Uh, Devonta Smith had a late touchdown himself. He's another monster. Um, and in that one, Levert Hill was in coverage and had really good coverage on it. Um, so, you know, I don't want to pat guys on the back too much for allowing 204 receiving yards and a touchdown to Jerry Judy, but this is the best wide receiving core. I'll say that I've ever seen on a college football field. The one that Alabama fielded. Yeah, they were, they're incredible. I mean, everybody top to bottom, just Ruggs is a speed demon. Jerry Judy is so complete and probably the best route runner I've ever seen at the college level. Like everything with his feet is incredible. And he gets the ball after the catch is what you have to watch out for because he's just a nightmare to tackle and super elusive. Not very big, but never takes a bad shot. Like the Dylan McCaffrey problem is he always takes bad hits when he runs the football. But you see players like Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson, they know how to get hit without getting hurt. 
And man, just hats off. They have some really good studs on that team and just flat out outplayed Michigan. There wasn't a, a bad call. There wasn't this that went Michigan's way. Michigan gave it their best shot for a half, even three quarters, but Alabama was just better for the long run. Yeah, and part of where they were better was at the quarterback position. I want to ask you this. Is Mac Jones a better quarterback than Shea Patterson? Yes. Mac Jones has had two starts and was just dropping dimes all over this top 10 defense. Or, sorry, 11th ranked defense. So, yeah, I'll immediately say that. Just right into it, has his struggles, and then sorts it out. Now, granted, it helps. I mean, Michigan has good receivers, but he has – all-planet receiving core, so that doesn't hurt anything. No, it doesn't, but his throws, if you go back and look where they were placed, that one to Devon. Dimes. Yeah, dimes out in front of him where he can make a play. How many times Shea Patterson this season hit somebody in stride on a deep ball where Nico didn't have to come back for it or something? It's just, I'm sorry, Shea Patterson does not have it, and Mac Jones, I'm not going to say that the dude's going to light the NFL up, but he's a better NFL prospect than Shea Patterson. I could tell that in just one day's worth of, of football. Yeah, he played really well for a person that doesn't put a K at the end of Mac. You know, I was really dubious about that. Yeah, I don't trust it either. That's how you spell and cheese. Like, the only time you see Mac like that is when it's followed by and cheese. Yeah, or like the Mid-American Conference of Quarterbacks. Like, M-A-C, just stop, that's it? That's all you got? Yeah, that's it. And I don't even think it's short for anything, but the dude was dropping dimes. And yeah, like you said, it helps when you have Jerry Judy. But Shea Patterson has Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Ronnie Bell, all three of whom will play on an NFL roster. We'll see about Tariq Black. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of done with Tariq Black, but that's not here nor there. And, uh, you know, he just did more. Mac Jones did more with what he had. And Shea Patterson, I'm not going to put it all on his shoulders, but 17 of 37. For 233, a touchdown and two interceptions um, in your last game in the wing helmet, your last chance to make an impression on NFL scouts. And that's just not going to get it done, as it really didn't get it done for much of the year. Um, an underwhelming season for Shea Patterson, I would have to say. Very underwhelming. Efficient, but underwhelming. The first half of the season was just a complete waste of time. Just some good offensive moments, some really bad offensive moments. And at times he was a, he was just a baller against Indiana and games like that. He just looked unbeatable against Michigan State, but came down. He fumbles the ball against Ohio State, crumbles here. But enough of the bad, though. We've, we've lived this all season. Who are some of your standout players on, on the good side, the Michigan MVPs in this loss, if you will? Well, I mean, call me surprised for leading with this guy, but, I mean, with the amount of grief that we've given him in our tenure – on out of the blue. I think you've got to touch on Quinn Nordine tying a, a record long at Michigan with a 57 yarder before half to give Michigan the lead to go three for three. Um, you know, after some struggles early in the season and last the last year, looks like Quinn Nordine next year, you can go into the air feeling finally, hopefully maybe confident about the field goal kicking unit. Yeah. That's NFL type stuff. A 57 yarder like that in this kind of game Everything he did. One, he kicked completely over the goalpost. I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got a monster leg. There's no denying that. So, the great job by him. Another one, Giles Jackson, freshly turned 18. Just explosive. A lightning rod. And he was high-stepping in this game on a wheel route. Yep. Woo! Ooh, that was saucy. Oh, my God. So, that was that was just incredible to see. I'm really excited for him. I was a little concerned about his size, but size be damned. He can play. Yeah, that dude is going to be kind of like, um, you know, how, how Urban Meyer used to use some of those guys, like the Curtis Samuels and stuff. 
Um, and Charles Jackson, man, I mean, he is electric. So, I mean, there's no limit to where we can line him up and what we can do with him next year. Very excited to see his proge- progression in that Gaddis offense. But that dude is just an absolute spark plug. So, I mean, him coming back at 19 years old is a huge boon for this offense. Yeah, you just see he and Chris Evans out there in like a five-wide set with the with Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell and Sainer It's like, uh, what do you do against that? Yeah, that's a problem. I mean, Giles Jackson is your kick returner next year, I would imagine, right? Yeah, 100%. He has to keep that, and I bet he's the punt returner too. Yeah, yeah, with DPJ moving on, I could see that. Um him or may, I mean Ronnie Bell maybe really sure-handed I don't know if he'll get a shot uh, uh, maybe sure-handed Ronnie Bell come on yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah I like Giles Jackson at both spots to be honest but I mean we got some more guys coming in but we'll see but yeah he's a guy that's got to be involved another bright spot for me um it's unfortunate he didn't get used properly but Zach Charbonnet that was the best I've seen him look maybe not his uh, biggest output, 13 carries for 84 yards, but man, did he look smooth in that. Looking like Philip Lindsay out there. I love that c- the comparison for him. He runs so patient and explosive, and he's very shifty side to side. I'm still waiting for him to get the break, the, the really big one. Like we saw Haskins do a little bit against Notre Dame, but yeah, this was the best Charbonnet's looked all season. It was really fantastic to see, but ever since the Army game, when they ran him into the ground, they never really bell cowed him much after that. Yeah, including in this game where he clearly looked like your best option to win. I mean, he was seeing the holes, and and uh, that'll be the next thing that we touch on for sure is the holes that he had, but just smooth. I love that term for it, and I got to think running back 1A next year. Yeah, I think so, and Haskins 1B for sure. Yeah, I agree with Jackson and Evans getting a ton of change of pace looks. They're going to line those guys up all over, and, and Blake Corum's going to play too. So, whoo, mama, that backfield. Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of issues for teams back there, so a ton of talent. I hope we can get them all enough touches, and Corum's coming in. Go check out Blake Corum tape if you haven't heard enough about him on here. Yeah, that dude's got some dog in him. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on, um, at least on the offense, was the O-line, which had a tremendous game against a bunch of NFL guys. I mean, just we are going to miss Ben Bredesen, Cesar Ruiz, and John Runyon so, so much. Those guys, I mean, the holes that were opening for Charbonnet in the first half. I mean, you and I could have gotten through those holes. So an incredible job against some of the best competition that they've seen all year. This was the best offensive line at Michigan since when? Tough call. Um, I want to say <laughs> maybe even beyond 2011, but that had Mulk and Lawan. So I, I would say 2011, best since 2011. Yeah, that's safe to say, I think. It, th- then you could really get into the nitty gritty of both of those, but... Man, this whole unit together was so good. That was the Achilles heel in 16. The offensive line just wasn't good, especially after Grant Newsom went down. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Do you think with this offensive line that we had this year, we would have uh, run the table 2016, Iowa and Ohio State? Oh, yeah. Bulldoze Iowa, you can run the ball easy and then can run the clock out against Ohio State, even if things mostly play out the same. But let's get to the defense in this game who stood out for you as the MVP of the defense against Alabama well we touched on Lavert Hill who did the best that he possibly could uh Ambry Thomas same same to him I mean you're going up against NFL wide receivers can't patch you on the back too much when you give up 204 yards receiving to one guy um but I'll say Aiden Hutchinson had, had a strong game he really showed up on the tape had a couple TFLs uh Josh Metellus in his last game in the winged helmet as well both guys that I noticed how about you 
Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson was one of mine. Uh, Josh Metellus led the team in tackles, and Cam McGrone had a quiet six-tackle game. And I think he's really coming into his own. Could be just, we thought he was the heir apparent to Devin Bush, but he definitely is. He's going to be a stud next season. Yeah, he kind of quieted down a little bit towards the end of the year, but that shouldn't diminish what he did all in all in in a relief effort, mind you, coming in for Josh Rock. Wasn't even supposed to start this year. And uh, by the end of the year, I think you have to say, no matter how you rank it, top three player on the defense. Has to be, yeah. He and Aiden Hutchinson are 1A, 1B in my book. Quiddy Pays in there somewhere as well. Defense held their own. I mean, kept Alabama underneath their season averages. I mean, scoring-wise at least. Just it was the big play again that tore them apart, just that, like it has all season. Yeah, I, I have to agree. So next year we lose uh, Lavert Hill, Josh Metellus. Will we get better in the secondary by getting a little more athletic, or are we worse by losing experience? I think we get better because Brad Hawkins is back as well, which helps a ton. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be a leader back there, and he's a guy that got better and better as the year went along too. So I tend to lean towards better as well. Uh, another guy who held his own in this was Vincent Gray, who as the season went along, um, you know, he, he was really good in, in tackling and in, in run support pretty much all year from the moment he set foot on the field, but got better in coverage. Now he's already like Channing Stribling was as a senior, uh, except a better tackler. Yeah, it's exactly what he is. And he doesn't have the shutdown corner on the other side, taking away all the attention. Being a better tackler than Channing Stribling is no feat, but seeing Vincent Gray progress and not being the picked on third corner that Brandon Watson was last year was a huge plus this season. Do we have an all big 10 quarterback on the roster next year? Have the talent, yes. Not first team, but there is talent there to be second or third team. I believe so. I think Ambry Thomas will be a second team. Yep, I believe so. I could see that as well. Um, Yeah, and then special teams that we kind of touched on already with Quinn Nordine. Giles Jackson had a 50-yard return, so I had no problem with the special teams performance. No, I mean, there there was a lot to glean from this game. There's just similar woes all season, miscues. Shea Patterson missing a ton of wide open guys just took the air out of the sails of everything, for being honest. And there's a couple where he didn't necessarily miss him. He just didn't throw it, especially in the first uh, first half, first quarter. He had Nico Collins on two deep balls. And just his inability to A, get the ball downfield accurately, and B, recognize when he needs to do it in the first place, really limited this team. So I think it's going to be addition by subtraction by removing Shea Patterson, which I hate to say because he's a gamer. I like the dude's attitude. I like that he came to Michigan and gave it his all. Um, but this game against Alabama really showed his shortcomings. I mean, that's that's his ceiling, basically what you saw against Alabama. Yeah, he forces some things, gets too focused on one receiver, and if it's not there, doesn't know what to do with it. Indecisive at times. I can't believe he was the Elite 11 quarterback MVP just a few years ago. This looks like a shell of himself. Yeah, and we we gave him the Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel comparisons early on, and just that was not the case. Um, you know, his improv- improvisation outside of the pocket never really materialized, and the deep ball is a serious concern with him. Um, missing just wide open guys, inconsistency. Um, it, it wasn't his day against Alabama, and uh, do you think he gets drafted? 
if he does, it's six or seven. Quarterbacks tend to just go sometimes, whether they deserve it or not. EJ Manuel was a first-round quarterback, for God's sakes. So it wouldn't surprise me if he jumped up to like four or five. But if we're being reasonable, it's six, seven, or undrafted. Yeah, I would say six, seven, or undrafted as well. But uh, any other final thoughts on the Alabama game before we take a break, sir? The future is bright for the offense and the defense. I still feel like we're in a dark hole despite the success. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, if you look at what we're bringing back on defense next year, um, there's reason to be excited, um, but there's there's clearly some gaps. We're, we're clearly missing some players there on defense. And uh, yeah, and on offense, we, we have to replace a lot. So it'll be interesting. You know, that's what we got offseason podcasts for. We're going to dive into that roster with a fine-tooth comb. Yep, just like when Michael Strahan smiles, there are some yeah. gaps. <laughs> Touche, sir. (laughs) But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at this season uh, position unit by position unit, and we're going to break down and give some grades for what we think everyone got the 2019 season. We'll be back with that right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We got through the pain that was discussing Alabama. Let's kind of start to break down this season, my friend. Uh, you know, over the next couple podcasts, we'll talk about what we saw in 2019, the good, the bad, and otherwise. Uh, we'll start that out, I think, by maybe giving some grades for each position unit. How's that sound? That sounds good. And keep in mind, expectations play a large role in this. Like last season, we thought the O line would be middling, and they were really good. So our expectations started out low, and they came out really well on the other side. So for here, expectations will play a factor. But now that we've seen 13 games of evidence, we can really dig into this. Absolutely. And let's kind of touch on that as we go through it. Um, Just touch on what you thought your expectations were for that position and then what the reality was. So uh, where do you want to start, my friend, offense or defense? Uh, Let's start on the offense. We'll start with the position we were just criticizing, and we'll criticize it some more. Quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) yeah something tells me we're going to here (laughs) yeah so the expectations were exceedingly high 
season quarterback coming back, former starter from last season, new offensive coordinator, pass-happy offense. Everything is designed for him, and he is mediocre at best. But from my eye, he was a little less than that overall. So I gave Shea Patterson a C-minus this season. Yeah, um, you know, I was thinking about this one, and I was like, well, you can't really hate on him because statistically he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks we've ever had. Yep. Uh, he came up two touchdowns short of tying Elvis Gerback's season single-season uh, single season record, and uh, I predicted that he would get that this year. So like you, I had high expectations. I thought new offense, that wide receiving core is what really sold me. I was like, all he's got to do is put it in the vicinity of Nico Collins, put it in the same freaking area code, and the guy will go get it. So for me, yeah, it's got to be pretty low. And I think that C minus is about, or I mean, C is as high as I'll go. Um, and I, I want to say C minus because he was also the reason we lost some games. Um, particularly his performance against Ohio State and, what, and Alabama is what sells me here on it being a low, low grade. Uh, the turnover against Ohio State was huge. Uh, we were going in, we were driving. That was a 14 point swing there. Um, fumbled it again. I mean, he was had serious issues holding onto the ball this year, especially early in the season. And then against Ohio State and Alabama late in the season. So anything above a C doesn't make any sense. I'm going to stick with you. I like C minus. We're in complete agreement. Yeah, Ryan Rosillo tweeted after the Alabama game, what does a scout do with this Shea Patterson tape? Like he's just missing open receivers. This You want to go to the NFL? You don't miss open receivers. That's the end of that. Yeah, that's pretty much it, especially ones that are as gigantic as Nico Collins. And Nico Collins ran free so many times this year. That's probably why he's coming back. He's like, I need a quarterback that can see the fact that I'm open 75% of the time. Yeah, and just throw me the ball. That's what Mac Jones did. He stepped into the starting role and was like, all right, I can't spread the ball around to everybody like Tua did. But Jerry Judy's really good. I'm just going to throw it to him. Every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> throw it up to Nico Collins 12 times a game. Good things are going to happen. <laughs> Exactly. All right, let's move on. We'll go running back next. Um, expectations were kind of low. Didn't really know what we were getting into. Charbonnet was a freshman. Hassan Haskins had switched positions and started at the bottom of the depth chart. We had True Wilson, Christian Turner. Those are some disappointments in there. But all in all, I was really pleased with the running back. And I gave the group an A- minus just because of the emergence of Haskins and Charbonnet in there. And what we have coming back next year. So I was really pleased with them, but I think it's partially because my expectations were so low. Yes. Uh, coming into the season, this was a position we were eyeing for a transfer. We did our trades podcast and we both said that running back is a position that we would target here uh, because of our depth. We lost Chris Evans to begin the season. Um, you know, we were banking on Christian Turner being our starter and our best option. Nobody saw Hassan Haskins coming, uh, you know, and we thought Charbonnet, who was coming off knee surgery, we're like, man, we're relying on a freshman and Christian Turner. Uh, but Hassan Haskins came along and now gives you a one-two punch. And he was a more than a pleasant surprise. I mean, I will go back and watch him against Notre Dame 100 times this offseason. And then Zach Charbonnet got better and better as that knee got healthier. Never really rode him like you'd think you would ride a running back like that. I mean, not quite Terrell Davis, but maybe a little Philip Lindsay. Uh very, very impressed with the wide with the running back group. Only reason it gets a B plus instead of the A minus for me is uh, a really poor showing against Ohio State. Once again, um, Hassan Haskins missing some cuts, missing some blocks. Zach, Zach Charbonnet didn't really show up in that game. So uh, if it weren't for the Ohio State game, it'd be an A minus. But a B plus, great for this position group. 
Yeah, we're in the same vicinity and the future of this room is bright. Now, next year, the expectations are sky high for this unit, oh, depending yeah. on the offensive line production. Oh, yeah. This may be, I mean, it's a little early and we'll get into it, but maybe the strongest position group on the team running back next year? I, I, it's hard to see an argument against it, especially adding Chris Evans to the room. It's top two, that's for sure. So, yeah, have to agree with you there. All right, man, let's move on. Uh, keep going right down with the offense. Let's go wide receiver. Uh, this is one where expectations are going to play a huge part. Um, I can't really blame them for a lot of it. But then again, once again, Ohio State, uh, you you know, you've got that monkey on your back as well still. But expectations sky high coming in. You know, we thought that we'd get a bounce back from Tariq Black. Didn't know where he'd play into this. But we knew what we had in Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, we liked what we saw with Ronnie Bell. But he really, really emerged as a go-to 1A receiver on this team. So uh, this is a tough one to grade because of how high expectations were and uh, took a while for the offense to get going early on in the season, that Gaddis offense. And uh, once it started to open up, though, I mean, you saw guys emerging, Giles Jackson, Sane Restrial, Cornelius Johnson, everybody getting involved. And when it was hitting, this position group was nasty. So uh, for me, I'm going to give them I'm going to give them a B minus only because and a lot of that's not on them. So I want to lean towards B. Um, but you would just expect to see more. No thousand-yard receiver. Uh, once again, some huge, huge drops in big moments, especially against Ohio State. Once again, the monkey on the back there. So for me, I'll go B minus. That's that's very fair. Everything you said is valid. I give the group a B. Expectations play a big factor, but just getting the emergence of players like Sainer still, Johnson, Jackson, Ronnie Bell, even despite some of the drops, like this unit was just very deep and. I remember a time when receivers at Michigan didn't catch touchdowns and we had that long drought. And this season, Nico Collins had seven and Donovan Peoples-Jones had six. So we are long removed from those dark days of the past. And just to see the emergence of the freshmen towards the end of the season, especially with Giles Jackson, really raises them up for me. And it's hard to hold much against them because of quarterback play. You're absolutely right. And a lot of that is quarterback play, which is kind of why I'm wavering on the B minus. I think B is fine. I mean, anywhere in there. So yeah, B, I'm, I'm totally content with that. Um, but once again, for me, it's just the Ohio State game, like the Donovan Peoples-Jones drop against Alabama. Nico Collins has a critical offsides and and just some some minor things that, that I really think could be cleaned up. And if they did, I mean, it's an elite unit. So not far off. Uh, moving down, tight end. What are your thoughts on this one? This is a really interesting one. A very quiet group. I think it was taken away from a little bit because of receiver production. But Nick Eubanks quietly had four touchdowns. McCune had two. So they both played well this season, especially in run blocking. I didn't have sky-high expectations. I thought Eubanks would be a little better. I'm going to give them a slightly worse grade than the receivers and give them a B-. minus. They were fine. They were above average. They weren't great. In most moments, they showed up. Eubanks became a more reliable target coming back next season. Got really good at run blocking towards the end of the year. And McEwen was just fine for the year. No no big collapses from him like he used to have in years prior. I think B-minus is spot on. If we're saying C is exactly average, a run of the mill, uh, the 60th ranked you know, tight end group in the country, I would say this is slightly above average. Nick Eubanks is a great receiving option. Sean McCune, bit of a bounce back here. Uh, not really as impactful, but once again, this is a totally different offense. They're not going to shine like they did before in the old Jim Harbaugh offense. So that being said, 
they were useful. Sean McEwen's a solid blocker. I think that he'll probably get a chance at the next level. I think Nick Eubank will as well as a receiver. So I think B minus is just fine for tight ends. Yeah, it was just a group that was it was good. It just didn't jump out at you and flash all the time. But it was nice to see Eubanks get better as a blocker. And when they were called upon, more often than not, they made a play. So, you know. Nothing, nothing to hold against them, but let's move on to the guys to the inside of them, the offensive line. This, we touched on this a little bit and how good they were and how we compared them to the 2011 group, but this unit was good just all season, flat out. They got better throughout the time, especially after games like Army. They ran the ball down their throats. They were good in pass blocking, good in run blocking. They weren't excellent. If excellent is 06 A+, this unit is a very solid A in my book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the best unit on offense for sure. Um, I liked the running back unit and what they did, but that was partially because expectations were low. Expectations were pretty high for this unit coming in. We thought we'd have a good offensive line, and we did. Uh, This was an excellent unit um, as showcased against Alabama. They more than held their own. In fact, they dominated Alabama in the first half of that. Um, A little too many penalties for my liking. Um, you know, and Ryan Hayes still figuring things out as is Jalen Mayfield. Um, but Bredesen, Runyon, and Cesar Ruiz were outstanding. Mike Onwenu was outstanding. Um, you like what you see in those young guys, but I, I agree with you. I'm going to go with an A minus on this one for me. Um, just some of the penalties once again. Uh, that's all that's holding it back. And uh, and Jalen Mayfield got toasted a couple times, and that's going to be your starter next year. But I mean. You got to like where he's come, but Cesar Ruiz, Bredesen, and Anwenu were monsters down the stretch. Yeah, this a solid A. Like I said, just a solid A for me. And it's it's sad to see when you look back at our overall grades with you see A's and B's and B's. But the quarterback position is what really held this unit back. It wasn't a source of explosion or playmaking like it was designed to be. No, I mean, neither of us give a B mi- lower than a B minus anywhere else on the offense, but quarterback at that C minus is uh, clearly what held this team back. With, uh, say, we take like a, a slightly above average quarterback, Nate Stanley from Iowa. How many games does Michigan win with Nate Stanley as our quarterback this year? 10. In I, think the, I think we win 10 with the chance to win 11 in the bowl. Yeah, I think you get one more. Probably Penn State you probably get. Yeah, Penn State, and then you take away some of the sloppy play, maybe open things up at Wisconsin, at least make it a game. And then yeah. you don't drop the ball to Ohio State, and the game's 28-28, and go from there. Yeah, and that's with a B-C quarterback. If you just get average quarterback play, I think this was a 10-win team. I agree with you. Who would have thought we'd be asking for Nate Stanley at the end of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Give us Nate Stanley for the love of God. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe we'll be uh, we'll be remiss, and and you know, next season we'll be begging or wondering why you know we didn't put in Dylan McCaffrey. So hopefully that's the case. Yeah, let's get let's go to the defense. Let's get happy. Um, let's start with defensive end. I want to hear your thoughts first on this position. Defensive end. That's an interesting one. Well, this was definitely the year of Aiden Hutchinson. He emerged and in my book is the best player on the defense, I would have to say. So his emergence and an an overall solid year from Quiddy Pay, who had flashes of being an elite player, but was always a very good player. Um, I think that those guys and then Mike Dana, once again, same thing for Quiddy Pay, but on a lesser scale, he flashed. So for me, this unit, um, I had... 
decent expectations. I liked the depth. We didn't know exactly what we were getting with Dana. Um, we were just projecting with Hutchinson. So I came in like optimistic, but not all the way in. So I've got to give this group because of Aiden Hutchinson being the best player on this defense. It's hard for me to go away from an A minus. Actually, B plus. There you go. Now, yeah, we're, yeah. It's B plus. Just because you didn't get much from Dana and Pay, but you got a lot from Hutchinson. Yeah, Pay was a very quiet twelve and a half tackles for loss, which led the team though. Yes, yes. So I mean, and it, and it was quiet. He doesn't fly off, but he just does everything right. He's very solid. So yep. I, that's why I think B plus is good there. A minus, you're in the excellent range. Do we count Josh Uche as a D end or linebacker? Ooh, I think. I don't know. I guess we just got to pick one for this exercise because he could be either. If if he's playing into the defensive ends, it helps the grade. But I, I think of him more as a linebacker this year. Yeah, it gets really tough. If, if I think if you count Josh Uche, it's an A minus for the group. If you yeah. don't count Uche, the unit for me is a B. Just a solid B. No just, a, just a solid B. I think they were fine. Not you know just a little below expectations, but it's still a good unit. I think I had it rated too high. I expected too much of Quiddy Pay carrying the bulk of the snaps, especially when you're picking up for people like Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary. That's true. Uh, just It's just the emergence of Hutchinson that puts it so high for me. That dude's going to be an absolute monster. Could be a first-round draft pick next year if his stats keep growing like they did this year. So he's, he's the best player on that defense. I'm pretty convinced of that now. He's good. Let's go to the interior. Let's go right inside of them at defensive tackle where we had Carlo Kemp, Dwan Form, sometimes an appearance from Donovan Jeter, Chris Hinton, and guys like that. And from a unit that I was kind of disappointed in, it's it's weird to say we even had Ben Mason starting there at one point, but that experiment quickly fizzled out, thank God. Um, defensive tackle could have been better. I think it was one spot that was really lacking on this defense. We went with some speed. Kemp was good. But he wasn't that position. He wasn't the guy we needed there. We needed somebody big next to him for him to produce. He just couldn't clog up lanes by himself, get pushed around in the A gaps and B gaps, and really noticeable against Wisconsin. So, really, because of that Wisconsin game and the way how we still can't figure out how to solve uh, duo running against Ohio State, I'm going to give the D tackle position a C. It was it wasn't terrible, but the expectations were up there, and this unit was just average. Yeah, I don't know that my expectations were super high, but I will say that both of us had a high grade on Carlo Kemp coming into the year. I mean, I've listened to podcasts where we thought he could be the best player on the defense coming into the season, and we were inaccurate on that. He's a good player. He's a great locker room guy, but he's just not Mike Martin, which was I thought thought he could be. And, uh, you know, he's quick, but he's not very big, not necessarily the strongest guy ever either. Uh, Dwum Ford dealt with injuries. Chris Hinton got in there and showed some promise. Um, but it was a unit that when you look back on it, we shouldn't have had high expectations for. We realize that now and going into next year, it's still a problem, even bringing Kemp back. Um, this is a unit that needs a talent infusion. You got to hope Maisie Smith hits here. So because like looking at what we actually have on this roster, I'm, I'm going to go with you and give it a C average. Um, you couldn't expect too much more. There's no, there's nobody other than Hinton and Smith to put in there for more production. No. And like I said, the biggest detractor here is just what Jonathan Taylor did to this unit. He just abused everybody on the defensive line, but especially the interior. 
yeah, yeah, he he really did. And Ohio State really showed some weaknesses as well. As well, so you just got to hope those two true freshmen that we played this year, um, you know, it was worth it to get them some snaps at the end of the year. I uh, know we burned Hinton's red shirt. I'm not sure about Smith. Did we burn Hinton's? I believe so. Although, I mean, it's four games now. It certainly seemed like we burned Hinton's. Let me see if I can pull that up really quick. I'm ninety-five percent sure we burned Hinton. We burned a lot of them this year. Okay, I mean, either you see game logs. No, played in four games. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Yep. So Hinton retains his red shirt, so he'll be a freshman again next season, which is joyous news for us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully that helps the defensive tackles next year getting that experience. But let's move on back to linebackers. Give me your thoughts. Uh, linebackers, bit of an up and down unit. Uh, Khalid Hudson had a very good year for us. Uh, Josh Uche had a very good year. We kind of expected great years out of both of them. Uh, Josh Ross going down early in the year may have been a blessing in disguise. He gets to come back next year. And now you bring Cam McGrone into the fold, who was our best linebacker by far and uh, is the best linebacker option. I mean, we've had in a while, I mean, outside of anyone named Devin Bush, um, one of the most athletic linebacker options we've had in a while. Um, just some concerns with Kalik Hudson. I mean, he had some great moments, um, but never really was the game changing force that I thought he'd be. Um, Josh Uche had once again spurts, especially later in the year. He went on, went on another tear, was big in some late games against Indiana, Michigan State. Um, he looked really good. But at other times against Ohio State and Alabama, he kind of disappeared. So this was a unit I would say we had pretty high expectations for, even before Ross went out. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. We were concerned. We didn't know how much Devin Gill was going to play or anything like right. that. So there were some question marks here for sure. There though. were some question marks, but we were pretty high. But the emergence of Cam McGrone helps here. Um, it's hard to give him more than a B- minus for me, though. Um because they weren't, they, you didn't really feel their impact outside of a couple games with McGrone. Um, but they were games where we, they were well in hand. Everyone else was really playing well. It wasn't necessarily like a tight game. Um, but McGrone had a great season, so I don't want to go much lower than that. So I'll go B minus. That's exactly what I have this t- unit as, especially if you count Uche in there, the emergence of McGrone. Didn't even mention the leader on the team in solo tackles, Jordan Glasgow. Who would have predicted that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it individually, like a lot of guys had good seasons, but as a unit, um, you know, they just didn't impact the game that much. And I mean, against Ohio State, they were completely nullified. You didn't call a linebacker's name the whole game, or if you did, it was because they were tackling a guy 11 yards down the field. Yeah. Kalik Hudson had 101 tackles this season, which yeah, and you had a lot <laughs> that has to be up there in Michigan for a Michigan season for sure. But he only had three tackles for loss, which is absurd to think about what he did in his first year starting. It's seven and a half in a game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just the impact plays were not there from anyone outside of McGrone and Glasgow actually had a few too, but just you, you'd expect more. Yeah, you would. They could have done better, and uh, Cam McGrone and Josh Uche really bring up this unit because of just the impact they had. Without Cam McGrone, this this defense would have been hurting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The emergence of Cam McGrone was one of the most important things to happen to that defense. So, uh, all right, man, let's move, uh, let's move to the secondary here. I want to save cornerback for last, so let's go with safety, uh, a position that I would say we had high expectations for coming into the season. Uh, Brad Hawkins ended last year a little rough, but what we knew what we had with Josh Metellus, and we knew we were bringing in Dax Hill. 
Um, we liked some of the other options there. We actually thought, God, I can't even remember the guy's name, the other guy that we thought we were, we were going to see a lot of there this year. Uh, his name escapes me now. Uh, Kelly Powell? Uh, Kelly Powell was one, but there was another one um, who now I cannot think of. The tall dude that hit like a ton of bricks. Oh, um, yeah, Jameric Woods, yep. Jameric Woods, yeah, yeah, which shows how little we saw of him this year because we thought he'd be a, a playmaker. So I had pretty high expectations for this. I'd say that for the most part it lived up to it. Metellus didn't have any games where he really took off, um, like not took off like, you know, had a great game, but like last year and years before there'd be games where he didn't look engaged. I thought he was engaged in every game this year. He was one of our best players consistently. Uh, Brad Hawkins also very consistent this year. Safety was a position of strength, and I'm going to give this a solid B plus for me. Plus Dax Hill's emergence as probably the third best player on the team already. Yeah, I, I got to give this a solid B plus. I'm close to you. I'm going to give this unit a B just because of some of the moments where I don't want to hold Dax Hill getting burnt by Jerry Judy too much against him, but Josh Metellus getting the eyes in the backfield against Ohio State at a crucial yeah. time really brings this one down for me a little bit. Um, Jameric Woods, by the way, now plays at Duke, so there's that. Um, yep. But yeah, no, this unit was good. They were fine. We had a really high expectations. They weren't you know, exceeding them, but I feel like they played right to them, played above average. And next season with Hawkins and Dax Hill back there, this unit could be exceptional, especially with all the safeties we have coming in. My God. Yeah, I think I might be leaning a little more into next season with my B-plus grade because I knocked some of the other units for their performance against Ohio State, but not the safety unit. So you're right. You're absolutely right that they really underperformed like everyone did against the Ohio State. So I'm fine. Let's just go with the consensus B for the safeties. That's totally fine. Okay, on to cornerbacks, my friend. If I'm not mistaken, your favorite position. It is my favorite position, not necessarily this year. It was a good year for cornerbacks, and uh, Lavert Hill at times looked fantastic. He'll never be Jordan Lewis. He just doesn't get his head around. He's not a ball hawk like some of the other cornerbacks that we've had. But he had a solid year and honestly didn't get tested very much. Uh, Ambry Thomas came on, but like neither guy really flashed. Vincent Gray, towards the end of the season, uh, showed you some serious promise. But this, this position group, for me, just there weren't the turnovers there. There weren't the takeaways. Um, even in years past, we had Brandon Watson with a couple pick sixes. And, you know, Lavert Hill had a pick six last year. There just wasn't any of that this year um, with the, the impact plays. So because of that, I got to go with a C for the secondary or for the cornerbacks, excuse me. I'm, I'm close to you. I'm going to give this unit a, a B- minus for me. Ambry Thomas, just because he, he did have three picks this year and was a really pleasant surprise. The depth of Vincent Gray coming in bumps it up for me if he got better. Lavert Hill drags it down, though, because expectations were high, and they still are, but he just never felt like he lived up to his billing or his potential, just always kind of wanting at that spot. And then you see people like Benjamin St. Just with the messy leaving football, not leaving football, goes to Minnesota, starts, and the team beats Auburn in a bowl game. So that that hurt as well. Yeah, seeing Benjamin St. Just succeed and, you know, letting him go, a guy that we definitely could have used. Uh, Lavert Hill, yeah, definitely underperformed. And, I mean, a guy that I thought was going to be better than Jordan Lewis just because he was a little bit more athletic, but just ended up being kind of average, uh, much like his brother was. Delano Hill was a good but not great safety. Uh, Lavert Hill will probably go down as a good but not great cornerback. Ambry Thomas still has the potential. I mean, he's one of the fastest guys on that defense. So next year, he's going to have even higher expectations than Lavert had this year. 
But I agree with you, man. It's right there in the same range. So uh, you want to do special teams, and we'll kind of look at this thing as a whole? Yeah, let's go to special teams. But before we go there, I mentioned Khalid Hudson might have one of the best Michigan tackling seasons. Well, yeah. as, you know, as normal, I was wrong. To be in the top 10, one must eclipse 150 tackles in a season. 150 tackles. What year was that? 1936? 1979, actually. So not bizarre. 19, Ron Simpkins is on here three times. He had 150 in 79, 168 in 78, and 174, which is the record in 77. Ron Simpkins also has CTE. I would assume so, but Mike, 150 in a season just to make the cut. Way to go, Michigan. My God, the man's got 150 collisions per year just in the games. Yeah, what what an animal. You should see him here. His face mask just, you know, looks like Spartan armor. But I digress. On to the special teams. Where would you like to start, sir? Uh, let's start with uh, kick return, punt return. Uh, we can do them all as, as one or separate. How do you want to do that? Let's break them up because two different people and two different ways to evaluate. Okay, uh, punt returning. Donovan Peoples-Jones was solid. Uh, didn't have any of the mistakes like last year where he was trying to field it on the hop and do some crazy stuff. Really mitigated that this year. Was a solid option. Usually made the right call. Um, do you remember any super impactful plays from him, though? Returning punts? Trying no. To take no. Head. no, he's a solid B. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything great. Because he didn't do anything wrong, he stays a B. That's how I look yeah. at this one. I'm fine with that. You can't really go much lower than that because he didn't make any huge mental errors. So uh, I'm fine with that. Let's go to Giles Jackson as kick returner, where pleasant surprise you return one against maryland the opening kickoff really set the tone um had a 50 yard return against alabama was a field position monster once he really got going uh that's a solid a minus for me i mean you really found something in giles jackson give give him a solid a for me 17 years old for the whole season until the bowl game yeah that kid's an a i loved everything about giles jackson that that bumps it up you gotta go a 17 years old dude should have been a prom (laughs) <laughs> let's go he wasn't at winter formal baby he was retur- he was scoring touchdowns against ohio state maryland and ohio state yeah yeah oh man i we were at the ohio state game and i was like man i got a feeling about giles jackson he scored that first touchdown we were losing it but not to be yeah it, it was short-lived um here's an interesting one punter felt kind of up and down he had one rough game in there and i forget which game it was um i want to say it was like a pretty pivotal one like penn state or ohio state will hart did but uh all in all i thought like a solid year i mean a couple punts down inside the 20 do we have the stats for that i got him yeah that's yeah so uh I, i don't know i mean he didn't really stand out as being a negative for the team and i believe his average Throughout the year, I do remember seeing that late in the season was one of the best in the Big Ten. So I have no problem giving punting a B. I'm trying to find the stat here for his punting. Here it is. Punting. There's surely stats on punting somewhere, just not the ones that I have saved on my (laughs) He was – Will Hart was 22nd in the country in punting average, and he was – Sounds like a B to me. Yards per game – He's a little lower. Ah, for, C for me, man. It just, I think I had such high expectations because of how good he was the year before. So he was fine. Just a very average punter in my mind this year. 
So that goes B minus. Then we'll go. We'll split the difference there. Not fine with that. You know, it wasn't wasn't the end of the world. Man, I really thought he was just going to be lights out again. And having a good punter, if you watch some of the NFL playoffs this week, can really change the game. Certainly <laughs> can. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an undervalued position. But uh, speaking of undervalued kicker, which uh, was an up and down roller coaster, but seemed to settle out towards the end of the year. Uh, man, this is a very very tough one. Um, you know, we didn't know who was going to be kicking. We didn't think it'd be Nordine coming into this year. We thought it'd be Moody. We rode hard for Moody, even when he was missing six in a row or whatever it was. Uh, cause then we brought in Nordine and Nordine missed a couple and, uh, yeah, Nordine, when Nordine misses, it's truly a sight to behold. Uh, <laughs> at least Moody's looked like a kick. <laughs> and Nordine just remembered he knew how to kick and towards the end it evened out. I don't know, man. I just, I'm going to give this a C and walk away, but Nordine, like if he rediscovered his mojo, it's huge for this team next year. Let's put like C plus B minus just so we eat a little crow 57 yards and going perfect like that at the end of the year. Nordine really took some strides and I think we kind of owe it to the kid. Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, certainly been critical of him in the past. <laughs> we said he could kick it to Canada, but couldn't pick the province. <laughs> we've said worse than that. We said he, he kicked like IP after a, a morning after having sex. So. That's, that's very fair. Yeah, Quinn Nordine's not a fan of the pod, but he is. We like him here now. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're drilling 57 yarders. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that grade. That's fine. So you look at all these grades here. A lot of A minuses, a ton of Bs. But that's kind of what you would expect to see in nine and four. A couple C's and the position units that really seem to drag it down in both of our minds are defensive tackle and quarterback with, uh, you know, is the next C's there. Kicker we had as a C, B minus there. Um, defensive tackle and yeah, quarterback it looks like. I, I think that sounds about right too, don't you? Yeah, it's kind of how the season really shook out. You flip the C minus. You flip, there's a couple wins. You be able to stop to run a little better. There's a couple wins. Kicker, everything. I think we did a good job, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with this for something that we just kind of you know on a whim here. I, I would agree with most of these. I mean, you can nitpick pluses, minuses a little bit here, but there's nothing way off here. And I mean, some people would be even more harsh on the quarterback. I would imagine. I have one more position for you. Hit me. Coaching. Ooh. Great call. Um, Josh Gaddis gets an A minus. Um, I'm very impressed with Josh Gaddis. Very excited to see what he can bring to this team and to see what they look like with a year under his belt. Uh, Don Brown gets a man. It's so hard to grade Don Brown. <laughs> yeah. C plus B minus in that range. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think C. Yeah, that's perfect. Just, you know, Above that, I mean, the 11th ranked defense in the country still. Yeah, I still, I mean, it's hard to hate on that, especially, you know, since most of that came against Wisconsin and Ohio State, but we lost both of them. So, like, you got to do better against those guys. So, yeah, you can't give them too high of a grade there. And Jim Harbaugh, the ultimate in difficult. Yeah, I mean, you got to give him a C. I mean, 50, this fan base is completely split pretty much on whether or not you keep him. It's nine and four, but it's also against. You know, this the third hardest schedule in the country. It's just good enough to keep your job, not good enough to really make anyone happy. It's a C. It's exactly middle of the road. I'm gonna give him just a little bit above. Just I'm gonna give him the B minus, the Don Brown range. Maybe it's a cop out, but nine wins, nine wins. The Notre Dame game felt good. Crushing Michigan State felt yeah. really, really good. Yeah. So B minus for me for Harbaugh. 
all right, fine, I'll allow it. 44 to 10 against Michigan State sells me. I mean, so long as we can just dominate them every year, even that feels pretty good, but leaves me wanting more. Yeah, as Brian Lewerke would say, you know, scum. <laughs> scum, yeah, Brian Lewerke after 44 to 10 commenting on the basketball team's success. What a, what a dunk on Michigan there, Brian Lewerke, with your Hitler haircut. Yeah, the really low-hanging fruit there. You almost got your job beat out by Rocky Lombardi. <laughs> Somebody named Rocky, which is the name of 90% of dogs. <laughs> it's like Rocky, then Buddy. Yeah, yeah. And then Lewerke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, these grades are really indicative of the season we had, man. So it's going to be fun to get into next season, start getting to 2020. And God knows once July rolls around and the camp takes are coming out and Luigi Valane season really starts up again, we're going to be letting them fly. It's always Luigi Valane season. That should be our podcast motto. It's always Luigi Valane season. That's how much the optimism flows. <laughs> I will tell you this right now. I know I said this to you off air last year. I am not predicting Michigan to beat Ohio State next year. I will not get suckered into it. I don't care how much you talk me into it. Yeah, I, it, it's 100% my fault. I will accept the blame because I'm an eternal <laughs> optimist, even at the heart of this. I'll just come down. Don't worry, dude. They're going to drop a game to somebody. I'm going to be like, Jared. Jared, they're gonna they're gonna do it, but like twenty seven on Ohio State, Jared. Uh huh. But like we said before, man, we're talking off air. I'd rather be excited for the team and get my hopes up, and then be let down and go through the pain because once you get them up and then they come through like we thought they were this season, it's gonna feel so good. Than rather being like, hmm, good to see Michigan win one. I want to be all in. So, you know, color me an optimist. I'm always gonna be that way. I'm with you, brother. We got about eight months to get psyched up for this until we got Washington in the season opener. I'm going to be there, so pump for it. Boots right. on the ground. Well, kind of. On the water. We're going to be doing a little <laughs> boat tailgating, swim platforming. I don't know. We haven't come up with a term for it yet. What a flex. How <laughs> <laughs> we do it, brother. But All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, make sure you stay tuned in. It is the off-season, but not for us. We got a lot of good off-season content. Really excited to get into some of that off-season content. We'll really break down the 2019 season, what went right, what went wrong. We're going to do some best moments, best players, best hair, best looking, most likely to go out on a date with Andy. Uh, we'll do some stuff like that, really mix it up this off-season, and then start getting into 2020 and uh, and all that good stuff. So it'll be fun, man. Yeah, it's time to get weird. It's the off-season. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to do it for us on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you follow Maze and Brew on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Follow Andy and I on Twitter, at Andy underscore Bailey1, at JStorm303. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review for all your shows and content where you get your podcasts by searching Maze and Brew Podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. We'll be back with a brand new episode of Closing Time, hosted by Anthony Broom. I'm Jared, that's Andy. This is Out of the Blue, reminding you that wherever you go, Oh, boy.